First Kings chapter 15, 9 through 15. And it reads, In the twentieth year of King Jeroboam of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. He reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Abishalom. Now Asa did what was right in Adonai's eyes, like his father David. He also expelled the male prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. Also he disposed his mother Micaiah from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image as an Asherah pole. So Asa cut down her image and burned it in the Kindred Valley. But they did not take away the high places. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was wholly devoted to Adonai all his days. He brought into the house of Adonai the consecrated things of his fathers, as well as his own consecrated things of silver, gold, and utensils. Now, this week I was meeting with... Um Chaim and I meet usually on Wednesdays, so I came into the office, you know, it was in the afternoon, so I was doing things that morning and rushing around and walked in the office and took my jacket off. It was pretty cold, if you're not aware, it was a little colder this week, past week, and uh, got everything set down and sat down in the chair and there was Chaim and you know, if you ever met with Chaim, he kind of, he gave me the, really the, the grin, the patriarchal grin and very calmly said, how are you doing, David? <laughs> I said, well, a little busy, you know. I'm certainly not as calm as you. And he kind of smiled like in, with a, quiz, a little quizzical look. And I said, well, you know, I mean, you're always calm, you know. And he smiled a little more and said, well, uh, I pray. <laughs> and, you know, it may look like I'm just cruising along the water like a, a duck, you know, but underneath, believe me, I'm... I'm moving. I'm, I'm working like that. So, you know, I'm sure many of you have been told things like that at one time or another, like, oh, gosh, you know, uh, you, you just seem to never get angry. You're such a calm person. You never get angry. I bet it's, it never happens for you. Um, I have kids, and they all, they'll say things. I've people, some of you have said it to me. Oh, so-and-so is so quiet. She's so quiet. Such a nice baby. And, you know, uh, <laughs> now, we're laughing because people certainly do get angry. And uh, I can attest that kids do cry and get fussy and all that kind of stuff. But those incidents don't necessarily mean that, you know, you're an angry person or that, you know, you're, you're, you characterize your baby as a, as a cry baby or colicky or what have you. Um, and we know this. We know these things about life and how things work like this. But unfortunately, I think we often judge ourselves and others by some isolated incidents like that. You know, you have a run-in with somebody, maybe things don't go well, you're not communicating well, and henceforth thereafter, man, they're, they're trouble. They're, they're, a little, they're a little prickly. They got some issues, you know. Um, uh, I remember seeing a story a couple of years back where a lady in Long Island, you may have seen this, she was just, you know, she just had had enough of her 12-year-old, I think, and they were driving along, and she just said, get out, get out of the car let her off and just drove home. Actually, the funny thing was a, f a buddy of mine said the exact thing happened to him and his brother. They were just causing too much trouble for his dad. And they were out in West Virginia somewhere in the country. And his dad said, he just pulled over and they were like, all of a sudden their attention, he said, just get out, you know, and they walked home. Now, 
we look at that story, and if you looked at that story in Long Island, oh, she's an unfit mother, and they wanted to take her kids away, and all these different kind of things. You know, she's an unfit parent. And if we just go by those kind of sound bites, you know, um, we risk missing the bigger picture sometimes. And not only with regard to how we view others, but with how we view ourselves. You know, we mess up, and we just think, there it is again. You know, we start going down that road of, uh, I can't do anything right, nothing's going to change, you know, um, I'm useless, I always mess up, etc., etc., etc. Now, I titled, titled the message today, if you look in your bulletin, I titled this message today, uh, Being a Mensch in the Eyes of the Lord. Now, some of you, are you wondering what Mensch is? Anybody? No, everyone knows what Mensch is? Not the German guy, I know the German guy knows what Mensch is. So just in, just in case you were wondering, you know, uh, it's from a German word, which is, which is the root of it is just means a person, a human. And uh, the word mensch is a Yiddish word. It, the, the idea is that it's an upright person, a good, good person, you know, someone that does the right thing. You told you're a real mensch, it's a good thing. Um, I was thinking kind of like uh, Floyd's not here, but he used to deal with some, some of the Italian folks in the organized world, of if, if you know what I mean. And <laughs> it would be like... Uh, He's a stand-up guy, you know, a real stand-up guy. <laughs> same kind of idea as, as a mensch. Um, same idea. And as we'll, just a person of integrity. And we'll see today, as we look at two major events in the reign of, of King Asa of Judah, that, you know, it's funny, on, on the one hand, it looks like when, you, when we're, we're going to get a little further in his story, it looks like at the end of his reign, he really messed up. He really dropped the ball. Uh, in fact, at the conclusion of his reign, it says, uh, I'm reading from the Bible here, it says, it says, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. But if you were listening to what Sharon just read a minute ago, the biblical record's pretty clear that Asa of Judah did good and upright things in the eyes of Adonai. He was a mensch, in other words. In fact, that's a real critical point that I want to read again from what Sharon read. Because it's, it's actually not just where Sharon read in 1 Kings, it's also twice in the book of, of Chronicles and Second Chronicles when they give the snapshot and when it talks about Asa and kind of characterizes his life. It says literally that Asa did uprightness in the eyes of Adonai. And I highlighted in my notes here in bold and underlined and italicized, that's control I, U, and B if you're doing the word processor, you can do it that way. There's the IT guy left, Jeet, I know you know, right? So in the eyes of Adonai. He was upright in the eyes of Adonai. And if you think about the story that I told a little bit earlier, the way we view things might be a little different than the way God views things. So it's very important to realize that as we look at these stories about Asa and look at, at what, what the Word tells us about him and try to glean some, some, some things from our, for ourselves from that, um, that he was upright in the eyes of Adonai. So now, if you want to turn with me, we're going to look uh, not in 1 Kings. We are going to look in 2 Chronicles. Chaim was right. He was seeing the future. Second Chronicles chapter 14, 15, and 16. Kings and Chronicles have a lot of the same information and presented different ways. Chronicles is the place that gives a lot of the details about Asa's life. So we're going to look at mainly those three chapters. I didn't want Sharon to read all three chapters to you today, so we just got the highlight picture of him. Second Chronicles 14. If you've got the new Tree of Life version, that's in the back, very last book. Otherwise, you'll have to find it in the middle somewhere. So chapter 14 starts with that same statement that was read from 1 Kings 15. The basic, and it's really the same in the Hebrew in all three places, Kings, Chronicles, and again in Chronicles, that Asa was good and he was upright 
in the eyes of Adonai, his God. And uh, I'll give you a little uh, Hebrew thing here just because I thought it might be fun. The word for uprightness is yashar. And uh, that's um, my mnemonic device. I had a real strict Hebrew teacher at seminary. And she, oh, she's here. And uh, she made us memorize all kinds of vocabulary. So you got to come up with words that, you know, somehow, because they don't, you know, there's no, sometimes why does something mean something? It just does yashar. I think of yes, sir, very upright. Yes, sir, yashar. So here you go. You'll never forget that yashar, yashar means upright. So it says that he was upright in the eyes of Adonai, his God. And the chapter 14 uh, continues. It talks about the start that Asa got off to as, as the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And he removed the, the high places of worship, the pagan places of worship. He commanded people to follow the God of their fathers. He built up the kingdom. He built up the city. And the kingdom experienced rest and peace, it says, during those initial years. And in verses 5 and 6, it talks about that rest. And in one place where the author, the chronicler, as they call him, we can argue who that is, but uh, says that the, the land was given rest because Adonai gave them rest. It's very, very specific. It says Adonai gave, gave them rest. And in verse 6, you see that Asa himself acknowledges the very same thing when he's kind of given the speech to the people. He doesn't take any credit for the rest that the kingdom was experiencing other than the fact that he said, look, we've been pursuing the Lord, and the Lord, Adonai, uh, has given us rest. And this kind of leads to, I think, what our first lesson is uh, about being a mensch in the eyes of God. And it's a pretty basic lesson, but I think you've got to start with the basics, and here it is, if we're looking at, at Asa's story and taking things from it, is that we need to seek him, and when things are going well, give him the credit. You see the same thing in, in, in Yeshua's words in Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Most of us know that passage. Seek God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So the first lesson is, Seeking God, even when things are going well, giving him the credit. And then something happens in chapter 14, and it's going to be verse 8, verse 9. Some of your translations and verses kind of change here depending on what you've got, but um, this is where it's talks, his first challenge, and it talks about Zerah the Cushite. It, it says, Then Zerah the Cushite marched against them, them being Judah, with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. When he arrived at Marashah, Asa went out to meet him, and they arrayed for battle in the valley of Zephath at Marashah. Then Asa cried to Adonai his God and said, Adonai, there is, none, there is no one like you to help in battle between the mighty and the powerless. That's a pretty neat verse, and some of you may have some differences there, but really I think the idea is that some of it will say that you're mighty to help the powerless. You're mighty to help the powerless. But it's a little tricky. You see different, different translations in there. I think the idea is that whether you're powerful, whether you're small, the point is you are mighty to help is the idea. It says, you are mighty, you are, you are able to help in battle between the mighty and the powerless. Help us, Adonai Eloheinu, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. You are Adonai Eloheinu, let no man prevail against you. So Adonai struck down the Cushites before Asa and before Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So many of the Cushites fell that they could not recover because they were shattered before Adonai and before his army. They carried away very much spoil. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar, for the terror from Adonai came on them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much spoil in them. They also attacked the tents of herdsmen and carried off many sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So that's the story, the first uh, opposition he faced and how, how it was handled. And something I want to highlight here is I think it will be significant when we look 
at latter portions of, of Asa's story in comparison is Asa's prayer. This is one of the, one of, you know, there's lots of powerful prayers in the Bible. This is, this is a pretty, pretty impressive one. And it's very powerful and instructive, I think, for us as well. Um, there's no question that, you know, when someone went, whoo, when I said a million, you know, a million people, 300, 300 cheering. Now, he had about close to 600,000 troops himself. And it wasn't just people. It was mighty men of valor, it talks about. So he's a pretty decent-sized army himself. But it's pretty clear that this group that came out against him, it was, uh, I mean, this was like, this is not like, uh, you know, the people were definitely, he was the target. Do you know what I mean? There was direct opposition and direct uh, antagonism against Asa and, and Judah. There's no question. There was a physical threat they were facing. But let's look again at how Asa viewed the situation. In verse 10, it says, Then Asa cried to Adonai his God and said, Adonai, there is no one like you to help in battle between the mighty and the powerless. Help us, Adonai Eloheinu, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. You are Adonai Eloheinu. Let no man prevail against you. Now, I, I emphasized a word there. Did you catch it? It was you. Five times in there. Five times we see that pronoun, you, being spoken by Asa. And Asa, I think, when we, when we, when we look at that, it seems pretty clear that Asa saw himself almost inseparable with God. He saw himself, I'm so dedicated to God. Yeah, the attack is against him, and the horde clearly was coming against them, but he didn't see it that way. He saw that, you know, because he was dedicated to the Lord, he viewed this attack as a threat to God, not necessarily himself or Judah. I think he's very emphatic there. You know, several times in the Gospels, you see Yeshua saying the same thing. He tells his disciples that they're going to be persecuted for his namesake encouraging them that, look, they're going to come against you, but they're coming against me. You're coming in my name, and that's why they're coming against you. The attack, this attack also, I think, was against God, and that's the way that Asa dealt with it. He stood strong as, as God's representative, but he prayed for God to deal with the opposition. And, uh, you know, like Chaim, Chaim mentioned last week, and he mentions pretty regularly, I, I'm, I'm with him in the fact that we don't necessarily look for a demon behind every bush when something bad happens, oh, that's the, this demon, that demon, or this is a spiritual attack kind of thing. However, um, I do believe Ephesians 6, Paul talks about our battle being not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and so forth. And therefore, because of that, we need to be ready for those kind of things, that kind of opposition. And uh, recently, we've been talking about growth. Um, today, you talked about the building fund, and be sure to take that, that thing out and look at it today. Um, We've seen numerical growth here at Yeshua Tzion, and we're believing for it. I mean, we believe that, that it's a kingdom principle, that God brings about growth. Um, it's up to him as to exactly how that looks, but we look at him, and we expect, as we focus on him, we expect to see growth, and we won't see, be surprised if we see opposition to that. This is kind of a, again, I'm not predicting the future or asking for, for opposition or not, but, you know, kind of like Judah was at this time, we have relative peace and prosperity at this point here at our congregation. And if opposition comes, we need to remember that, you know, just like when you read about David battling Goliath, you know, before he faced Goliath, he said that the battle belongs to the Lord. And we need to keep that same thing in mind. And if you're, if you're God's servant, if you're dedicated to him, then realize that the opposition is often to him and against him and not necessarily you. I'm not talking about sh 
uh, shirking or, or giving up, relinquishing any personal responsibility. Don't, don't hear me say that. Um, we obviously need to use good discernment in things. And, you know, I, I, I do often have a pet peeve when people say, oh, my, Satan's attacking my car. It's just not running. I'm like, did you change the oil recently? You know, and, <laughs> and so that kind of stuff. So let's not be silly here. You have to use good discernment. But what I am saying is that if you see yourself as a representative of, of him, then you ask him to deal with the hurdles. Chaim often says, you know, make it his problem. And, and, and we'll get into maybe why that could be frustrating when you hear that sometimes, because we're used to, like, we like to figure out our own problems. But look at it as the battle belonging to him and make it his problem. So right after this awesome prayer that uh, Asa gives here in, in chapter uh, 14, and, and we see the, the victory, um, God delivers a message to him by way of a, a man named Azariah, a prophet, basically. And this is starting in chapter 15. So you remember the picture that there was the thing facing them. He prayed, and it was delivered. And uh, verse 15, starting in verse 1, says, The Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, all Judah and Benjamin. Adonai is with you as long as you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will spurn you. For many days Israel was without the true God, without a teaching Kohen and without Torah. But in their distress, they turned to Adonai, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those times, there was no shalom for anyone, coming or going, for there were many conflicts among all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every kind of distress. But you, Chazak, be strong. Do not let your hands be slack, for there is reward for your labor. <laughs> Have you ever had it where, where someone tells you something and you kind of already knew it or asked you to do something and you already did it? Imagine for a moment, uh, you know, you, we're having a get-together today, and this is, not any, this is not me telling you what to do. But let's just say you, were, you decided you're going to get all the trash out of the building because we're supposed to remove all the trash on Saturday, so you go around to every single trash can, get all the trash together, you collect it all, you go upstairs to the bathrooms, you go in every bathroom. If you're a man, you wait for the women's bathroom to be empty, and you wait there and you get the women, you know, all that stuff. Get all the trash, you bring it out to the dumpster, you put it in the dumpster, you're coming back in, and as you're walking through the door, I say, hey, Aaron, don't forget, uh, pick the trash out, because they like us to take the trash out. Just make sure you get all the trash today. And what does Aaron say? Well, Aaron's a saint. He says, oh, I, yeah, I did that already. Thanks. Thank, thanks for that. Now, if you switched roles and it was me, what do you think I would say? I'd say the same thing. You kidding me? I'd say, oh, yeah, no problem. I took it. I took it out. But you know what I'd be saying inside? Hello, I think I know that. I just, see, I just came in from outside, Aaron. I just got the trash. I get the trash every week. I know I get the emails and we don't take the trash out. I know. I know we're supposed to take the trash out. Why do you think I'm taking the trash out? I always make sure they're empty. <sighs> That's basically the same choice that I see that Asa had here. You know, he had just made this unequivocal, unequivocal, amazing prayer to God, recognizing you, 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 it's your battle, and made them bring, you know, take them away against you, and God delivered them, right? He had been rewarded. And then here the Lord basically tells him, oh, by the way, be sure to seek the Lord. Don't forsake the Lord, and there will be reward for your labor, you know? I think it would have been reasonable for Asa to say, uh, Azariah, were you not listening when Zerah, remember the million? 
guys and the chariots, what did I do? Did I not seek the Lord? Of course I sought the Lord, you know. What do you think I did when I was facing Zerah there? But no, Asa didn't do that. In fact, as awesome, if you sort of stop there, as awesome as he had been up to that point, you know, he responded with even more devotion. I think when you, before you even get there, you think, well, he did a whole lot. But then you read what he did even after that, and he, had, he responded with even more devotion. He, re- he removed more idols. He restored the altar of the Lord. He offered up a bunch of the spoil that he had got, a lot of the animals. He even dedicated more. He committed his nation to enter into a covenant. When you read that, it says that he made a, a barit, a covenant. He said, we're going to seek the Lord. And in fact, if you don't, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to kill you. That's what it says. So he's going to kill everyone. I mean, he, he got serious. He even deposed his own grandmother. Sometimes some of your translators say mother. It's, it's, his, it's his grandmother. He took her out of being queen, took her idol, smashed it, burned it. I mean, it was intense. In other words, I mean... In our vernacular, we might say he took things to the next level. Now, overall, I would say that uh, Asa responded well to the word from the Lord. What about, what about you? You, no. When you hear that, when you hear someone say, you need to seek God, you know, you need to, you know, you need to seek the Lord, how do you respond? Because I think it's easy sometimes to sit back and, and think, well, you know, I'm a believer. I'm already a believer. I come to services every week. You see me here, don't you? You know, I'm here. I serve the Lord. I don't use bad language. People at my work know I'm a believer too. They don't cuss around me. They get quiet when I come in the break room. And my family, you know, my neighbors, they do this kind of thing. I'm a believer, okay? You know, I know people know I'm different. Are you content with that? Or are you open to doing some radical things that can take you to the, the next level, like Asa did? Not to threaten to kill anybody, please. But is there more that you can do? Is there something more that God's calling you to do? This is not meant to expose or, or uh, shame anyone, of course, but the point I'm making is just like you know, Asariah, when he told Asa, a man who had clearly proven himself to be dedicated to God, when he told him that you know, to be strong, you know, here's this guy who's a real man. She says, be strong. Don't let your hands be weak, for your, your work shall be rewarded. You know? We read a little bit later in chapter 16 about what God's looking for. You hear the thing. How about you? What, what more is God calling you to do? And I, I don't know the answer to that. This is a, one of those rhetorical kind of questions. This, this brings us to the, this kind of the second. I see the, sort of see the story of Asa in these three sections in chapter 14, 15, and 16. And just to recap kind of where we've been so far, we look at chapter 14. Asa was good. He did good. He was upright. In the face of opposition, he showed clear devotion to God, and God delivered him, and God prospered him. And on top of that, then, he even encouraged him to, to do more. And Asa responded well. He doubled up on his devotion. And God prospered him even more. You see even more prospering that goes on. And that leads us to chapter 16. That's kind of where, where we are here at chapter 16 of Second Chronicles as we look at the, the, for the full life of, of what we've told about Asa. The final section that gives us any real details about his life and his actions and his decisions. So here in chapter 16, we find out once again that he's faced with opposition again. This time it's a little bit of different opposition. Uh, there's not a million men and 300 chariots. We don't even know how many people they are. Uh, we do know that it was the, the, the king of, of Israel, Basha, that was doing some things. And actually, it was more of like an economic 
thing, really, more of like an economic embargo. Bashar was building an area to kind of keep people from coming and going. It was more of, a, of an economic thing. I think if uh, when you read different opinions about this, the state of, of Israel at the time, of the, uh, the northern kingdom, probably couldn't have mustered much of an army to give him much of a threat. So it's really mo- less of a physical, more of, a, of an economical kind of thing, certainly compared with what he was facing with Zerah, the, the Cushite or the Ethiopian. So what was Asa's response this time? Let's, let's read. This is 16. It says, In the 36th year of Asa's reign, King Basha of Israel marched against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from leaving or coming to King Asa of Judah. In response, Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of Adonai and from the royal palace and sent them to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who lived in Damascus. So you got, he basically, he's right above Judah. They're trying to stop it. He sends money to someone around him to... to to help. And he says to Basha, he says to uh, Ben-Hadad, let there be a covenant between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. Look, I have sent you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with King Basha of Israel so that he may withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad consented to King Asa's request and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. They ravaged Ion, Dan, Abalmaim, and all the storage cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard, he stopped building Ramah and stopped his work. Then King Asa took up, took up all of Judah to carry away the stones of Ramah and the timber which Basha had been building. With them, he fortified Geba in Mizpah. So we look at this real quick. The thing that stands out, I think, and maybe does to you, especially since I looked at the prayer before. Remember all the U's? You look at this one, there's a number, about four of them, of the, op- not the opposite, but instead of you, it goes to I and me. He says, let there be a covenant between you and me. Remember I made a covenant, the whole nation made a covenant with God? Same words, a brit, but there was a brit with Adonai here, it's a brit with trying to get one with Ben-Hadad. As there was between my father and you, he said, look, I, I have sent you silver and gold, go and break your covenant so that he may withdraw from me. He views it very differently this time, doesn't he? It's not so much that this is an attack against you. He's like, look, this is, t- get him away from me. It's all about me. Or Asa, in this case. And again, he sought a covenant with, with men. Now, and what happened? When you, when you, when you read this, what, what, where I stopped reading about the story, what happened? I mean, quite frankly, it worked pretty well, you know? Political endeavor, uh, you experienced some success there. Basha retreated. He retreated, and Asa even, the, he took all the stuff that he was working to use against him. He took it, and he built his own fortifications against future stuff, future attacks, you know? It, it seems as though if you were to sort of stop there and you read that, it seems that Asa was a fairly shrewd leader at this point, good political move. He needed, or he knew what needed to, to happen, and he knew how to make it happen. He had the knowledge, and he had the resources, and quite frankly, he got it done. And I think, you know, since the way we've looked at it to this point, I think we'd like to sit back and we shake our heads and say, come on, man, Asa, what are you doing? We just read this amazing stuff. You know better than this. What are you doing? You know? We want to sit back and say that. You didn't trust God on this one. You're so good before. You just messed up. But are are we any different? When you've got all the tools in your bag, 
to handle something that life throws at you? Are you any more confident? When you know that if something goes wrong with the car, I got the money to fix it, I'll take care of you. I need tires, no problem. I got, I've been putting money, I've got it, you know? You've been looking around at jobs because things haven't been going so well at yours maybe, and you're like, you know, I got something lined up. I know this person over there, they've been courting me. They'll, they'll give me a job, and so you walk around work, just, you know, you give me any trouble, you kind of got a swagger. You're not worried about it. You're not worried about really dealing with the problems because you got it all figured out. You'll just, you'll just take off, you know? When you've got options that seem squarely in your control, you know, if this happens, I'll do that. If that happens, I'll do that, you know? Are you more likely to exercise them? You know, Asa had been around for a while at this point. This is towards the end of his reign. I'm sure he had accumulated a lot of wealth. We read earlier from, from the victory was there. Another, along the way, accumulated a lot of wealth. Obviously, he had some influence. But think about, I'd like you to think about your own life for a moment. In times of trouble and in times of problem solving, where do your initial thoughts lead you to? When you've got, got an issue, do you think about where you're going to get the money from, how you can work things out and, and be able to fix the problem with money, or do you work through the different scenarios in your mind as to what you would do at each and every step? Do you start thinking, who do I know? Who's an attorney? Who can help me with this? Who do I know who knows somebody? What connections do I have? Do you, does your mind immediately go there when it comes to, uh, to solving your problems? And I, I would say, and I can speak for myself, but I would think that most likely when faced with a dilemma, most of us do think. We most turn to our, our own resources, uh, seeking to make our own alliances, like us, uh, you know, cut that covenant with, with Ben-Hadad uh, in ways that would help us work out our situation. It's a normal reaction. I believe, it's a, I believe it was a normal reaction for Asa as well. And I, and I want to tell us that this is, not, this is not some new problem. This is... This is uh, this is, herein lies the big problem. It's predicted even way back in, in, the, uh, in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, many places, but specifically in chapter 8, starting in verse 10, I can read to you. You don't need to turn there unless you'd like. This was something that was foreseen. It says, Take care that you do not forget Adonai your God by not keeping his mitzvot, his commandments, his ordinances and statutes that I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and silver and gold multiplies for you, and all that is yours multiplies, then your heart will be haughty, and you will forget Adonai your God. You may say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has made me this wealth. Rather, you are to remember Adonai your God, for it is he who gives you power to make wealth in order to establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers. So this is the biggie here. I think we see in chapter 16 of, of Second Chronicles, it's, it's pride, self-reliance and pride, haughtiness. You read that, a lot of Proverbs talk about haughtiness and what happens and so forth. Uh, basic, some basic definitions of, of pride and, and, and haughtiness. Feeling pleasure or satisfaction over something regarded as highly honorable or creditable to oneself. Having, proceeding from, or showing a high opinion of one's own dignity, importance, or superiority. The idea of thinking too much of ourselves, being presumptuous, thinking that we have all the answers. That's kind of the idea of, of pride and self-reliance here, and it's been an issue forever. <laughs> and that's exactly the issue that 
God told Asa after his dealings with, with Basha and Ben-Hadad. Whereas before he brought a prophet after the victory with Zerah, he brings along a prophet this time, Hanani, to Asa. And what Hanani says to Asa is he says, Because you have depended on the king of Aram and not depended on Adonai your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. It says a little note here. I think this kind of lets us know that you know, just because something works out doesn't mean it's necessarily from God or from his strength. That's the truth in many of our lives. Things work out good sometimes. I think they did for Asa in a sense, but the truth is that may not necessarily be God's best. It may not necessarily be because God blessed you. We all love saying that. Man, things work out. Oh, wonderful. Praise the Lord. God's there. God is good because something favorable worked out. doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. They go on with what, what Hanani says. He says, Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on Adonai, he delivered them into your hand. Here's, the, here's, the, here's a very powerful statement. This is the one we're going to look at. It says, For the eyes of Adonai range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose heart keeps covenant with him. You might have a, some different definitions there, and I'll, we'll go over what's, really, what's behind that. But it says, You have acted foolishly in this matter. Indeed, from now on, you will have wars. So now, in this, in this instant, how does Asa respond this time when given a word from the Lord? A little different. We'll see. It says, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the prison, for he was enraged at him at, uh, for this also, or for this. Asa oppressed some of the people at that same time. This is actually the first recorded persecution of a prophet in the, in the Bible. There's other ones too, but this is the first one. In other words, uh, he didn't respond too well. He didn't respond well this time, compared to last time for sure. This time, the word of the Lord to Asa from a prophet was met with pride and with arrogance and caused him to uh, dig in, to, to hold his position and to be, to be stubborn and resistant. Now, he could have asked for forgiveness. And if he'd have asked for forgiveness, would things have been different? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's what we call speculation. But when you read all the scripture and you read different examples, I think of uh, of Jonah, the Ninevites. I think about uh, Moses interceding for the people. I think about um, Nathan and David. Remember David within the sin with Bathsheba, and he had, he was presented with the same kind of thing, and he repented. And we see that God did relent in those cases. So I believe yes that if he would have, that would have happened, but that didn't happen. And as we see in verses twelve to thirteen of sixteen, as this chapter ends out that shortly after this episode, Asa uh, became diseased in his feet. Uh, Anyone ever have foot problems? (laughs) You know, uh, not fun? But he still resisted God, and he ultimately died in that condition. Now, did God cause the disease? Was the disease coincidence? I'll give the Chaim answer, yes. I don't know. I mean, it seems reasonable. We don't know. But the point is, I do know this, that most likely... Whereas before he was very autonomous and obviously his mind had switched to, you know, I, I, I. He probably couldn't go around doing as much as he did before, uh, very much autonomously in that condition. But remember, this is for us, remember that even after what happened to Asa, the word of God still describes him as a mensch. Again, that's, that's the biblical record. Everywhere you read, he was yashar, he was yashar, yashar, hatov, yashar, good and upright. In fact, you know where he shows up again in the Bible? Matthew 1. 
line of Messiah, Matthew 1, 7 and 8. The record was not trashed by Asa messing up. In fact, when you go back and read what the word of God was to him, what I just read from, from Hanani, you know, it, it, let's not forget that it says, look, he said, you messed up. Uh, how does it say it here? He says, you messed up in this. It's literally Hazze. says, you messed up in this. Your life isn't, wasn't trashed. You messed up in this. You made a bad decision here. You messed up in this. Now, let's not airbrush Asa. I'm not trying to airbrush him and make him look all perfect. He was blessed. He was accounted righteous. But his blessings were definitely cut short. That much we know. Will you mess up? Yeah. Will you wander? Yeah. Especially you, Jeff. Definitely. I heard you. Yeah. <laughs> Will you be receptive to God's correction? That's the question. That's the question we got to answer. What does God want? What is he looking for? Who is he going to describe as a mensch? Back to chapter 16, verse 9. Look at that again. That's where it tells us. I think that's the clue to this thing. It says that the eyes of Adonai range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose heart keeps covenant with him. The Hebrew there literally talks about looking for those whose heart is complete, whole. Shalom is there. The word shalom is what's used. So it might say who keep covenant, whose heart is whatever. Uh, but it's basically those whose heart is whole to him, those whose heart is shalom to him. Now, does that mean perfection? No. It means devotion and commitment to grow in your relationship with him. Just like your spouse, your family, uh, your children, are you wholehearted to them? Yeah. Does that mean there's ever any distance or times of distance? Of course, there probably are. Does that negate your wholeheartedness to them? Does it negate your dedication or your devotion? No. You know, in our life, we'll have numerous, if not seemingly endless, chances to make the right kinds of decisions to grow in God and to receive His blessings. Will we make some wrong decisions? Yes. Can we make some right decisions? With his help? Yes. But that's what it's going to take in order to be a, a mensch in God's eyes. So let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your word being a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray, Lord, today for that ongoing relationship with you for those ongoing chances to deepen our commitment to you. Not our commitment to be perfect, but our commitment to walk with you and to serve you alone. I ask your forgiveness, Lord, for times that we've taken the ball ourselves and we've used our own resources and not looked to you, Lord. We thank you today, Lord, for providing us with all we need to serve you and to walk with confidence and to possess all that you've laid out for us, Lord. We ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Can you relate to Asa, to Asa? You know, sometimes you feel like you are on the right track, and then all of a sudden you kind of go off. I'm reminded of a simple word that was in the text today, and that is, you acted foolishly. 
you know, when we get fat and sassy, we feel like we have the smarts, we have the discernment, we know what to do, everything is under control. And um, then we're really, being we're really being foolish. The scriptural definition of foolish is not someone who's intellectually deficient, but someone who is putting God off in a corner. That's what Asa did. And so the Lord gives us resources, time, energy to live life for Him. And we can either do it foolishly, being convinced that we have what it takes to make the decisions, or we come in humility and we say, Lord, I need discernment from you. You know everything. I don't. And um, the Word of God tells us in Ephesians 5, don't be foolish. Don't walk foolishly. Don't live foolishly, but wisely, redeeming the time, making the most of opportunities. And the way to do that is to discern the will of God. In other words, to make a point of tuning in to God's voice and saying, Lord, I can make this decision or that decision. What is it that you want in this particular situation? That is how Scripture defines as wise living. And uh, we want to be able to do that. So as we worship for the next few minutes, as the music is playing, we just like in agreement with Rabbi David's message, just to challenge you and say, are you facing decisions? In a sense, we all are. Are you facing significant decisions? Have you brought God into the picture? Is he your senior partner? Or is he kind of off there? And... Um, if you haven't, make that decision today that, that the Lord has to be front and center just like Asa, Asa in facing the Cushites and not as he was facing Basha, the king of Israel. Hallelujah, Lord. We add in agreement our heart's desire, Lord, to walk in the ways that you have prepared in all humility, recognizing the fact that you have the entire picture and that you're well able to convey your heart and your will to each of us. Give us, Lord God, that humble heart to seek you out and to persevere, Lord, in walking your ways, Lord, to hang in there. In the name of Yeshua. Amen.